Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. My assignment here this weekend is to help you in your journey and to help you learn to trust Him more and more. Amen. And so I'm so excited to be with you today and excited. I have a good word for you today. It's out of a new curriculum that I've been developing for the last few months called Giants, Defining, Defying, and Defeating Them in Your Life. And uh, we've been, I spent all of last week uh, in the Houston area, and we've been working with churches from Vider. Honestly, our, our church relationship in Vider just took a real hit there. And uh, have been, uh, as a matter, I think four or five of their staff members lost their homes, their cars, and everything that they owned. And they're trying to minister to the community while they're trying to get their stuff out. And so we've had teams there uh, this last week, truckload after truckload of supplies that uh, coming through the Destiny Network. And so uh, how many believe that God designed us to be social and designed us to do life together and not, a, not alone? Amen? Amen. And this church was right in the middle of that. And uh, I, there was a team, I think, here from Brownsville, some friends that we have from Brownsville that came and, and helped with some of the damage that you all had. And I was out early this morning driving through some of the neighborhoods just to get a feel for some of the damage that, that happened here. And I just want you to know that we love you. And the body of Christ is rising up to be the body of Christ. And uh, I, I read an article this last week uh, by the Washington Times and also uh, an excerpt from one in the USA Today that said that the church around the nation had done more and had arisen to the occasion to provide more money, support, and volunteers and relief than the federal government. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. And uh, all you had to do, and I know many of you probably have, all you had to do was visit the Houston area with the tragic flooding. And I know you had the hurricane. It, it, it was the, you were the first fruits <laughs> of that storm. Uh, but it's such a large, uh, uh, expansive area that were affected all up from Rockport and, and Victoria all the way up the coast over to the Louisiana line. And so uh, the, the, the need has been enormous. And I'll just let you in on a little something, too. And I want you to help us pray. We were approached by a uh, Christian group, uh, of a, a philanthropic, I think is how you say, a group of billionaires. Somebody say billionaires. Who uh, saw some of the video things that were being uh, pay, placed out and done through the Destiny Network. And they asked for an analysis this last week of the economic impact of the hurricane, the storm, and the flooding on the churches that we were working with. And so we did that, worked all week to get that out, and we're asking them for just a little over a million dollars. Somebody say a million dollars? Yes. I thank, G- thank the Lord Jesus can handle a million dollars. Amen. Amen. That will help with some of the recovery, particularly from some of those churches that were so adversely impacted. And uh, we have actually, that's just a fraction of the cost. In our network, there are churches that had multiple campuses that had over a million dollars damage each if you can imagine. So some of them were insured, but uh, that million sure would help in offsetting some of their losses. So will you pray with us this week, because we believe that we'll know this week, will you pray with us that God will speak to the heart? I didn't ask them, they asked us. And so that's why we swung for the fence. Amen? I mean, no, you need to treat a king like a king. 
Amen. We didn't want to offend them by asking for a paltry sum. And so, uh, so we asked, we swung for the fence, and we're believing, but we want you to join with us and believing that God's going to touch their heart to do that. I need a good amen. 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 All right, uh, take your Bible in your hands and stand with me, if you will, and let's turn to the book of 1 Samuel. And I'm going to read to you just an excerpt, uh, and then we have a video. The guys are going to cue that up in just a moment. Uh, I want to read an excerpt, and I'm only going to read a couple of verses because it's an iconic passage that uh, most of you are going to recognize immediately. Uh, is, is there anybody in the room that has, is, or believe you might face some sort of giant in your life? Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what yours is, but I know what mine is. The fact is, everyone in this room knows what it's like to face a giant, an obstacle, a, 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 a barrier that you know is larger than you and that's bigger than anything that you have to deal with it through. I believe we all can relate to that. And this is certainly the story, and I'm going to read just an excerpt to you, beginning in verse number 49 of chapter number 17, the book of First Samuel. Then David took his hand and put it in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it. In Arkansas, we'd say he flung it. But uh, he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran, forgive me those of you who are squeamish, and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw, when the enemy saw that their champion was dead, they fled. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Amen. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your anointing. We thank you for this wonderful group of people that are here. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will open our hearts. God, let every filter be opened. Let every mind be focused, God. In these moments that we share, I pray that you will do what only you can do. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. High five somebody and tell them, get ready for the word of the Lord. Watch this. The Valley of Elah lies a creek bed. A creek that would become famous for the battle that was fought here. of the Philistines once encamped for battle, opposing the armies of Israel who were arrayed along the Valley of Elah. A great Philistine warrior named Goliath would come between the forces into the valley and taunt Israel's armies. This day I defy the armies of Israel, he would taunt them. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Because this warrior was nearly ten feet tall and awe-inspiring in his battle armor, he terrified the armies of Israel. No one dared to face him. No one but a shepherd boy named David, who wasn't even in the military. So down to the brook he went, collecting five stones. When the giant Goliath saw David coming, he was almost insulted. Am I a dog? 
that you come at me with sticks, he said. David replied words that have echoed from his mouth into all history. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And that's exactly what happened. David charged with his sling spinning over his head, and a stone flew at lethal speed and accuracy, penetrating the skull of the giant, who fell to the ground. David seized the giant's sword and took his head with it. David's fame grew after this. He was heralded as a hero. Eventually, a very paranoid King Saul feared David and the threat he posed to his throne. David would have to live on the run for his life from King Saul and his assassins. Ironically, one of his hiding places was a cave called Adullam, located in this very valley. Later, after the death of Saul in battle, David would become Israel's king and be known as a man after God's own heart. Today, the Valley of Elah stands as a living testimony to the often counterintuitive but always powerful hand of God in our lives. The story of David and Goliath has become a legendary metaphor as we each face the giants in our own lives. The story of David and Goliath uh, has captured the imaginations of people since that fateful day that that first encounter took place. Why? Because we all know what it's like to face giants. Something that's bigger than you, lurking in the shadows of your life that you know in your heart that you are no match for. Lurking in the shadows of your possibilities and your opportunities like obstacles and barriers that stand in your way. Giants that threaten your destiny and will try to convince you that the promise of God was a lie. Perhaps it was a moment of victimization in your life as a child or a bad memory or maybe it's a bad decision that you made or that someone else made that unlocked a chain of events in your life that led you down a path that you wouldn't have selected for yourself. The list could go on and on. Addictions of all kinds, and, all kind, and more than alcohol and drugs. Can I get an amen for that? Addicted to low self-esteem, perhaps, or pride in some, or anger, or fear, or giants come in every size and shape, but they have one source, and the giants that are opposing you come from one place, and that's the devil. Praise God. I'm glad that we serve a God that is bigger than the devil. Amen? Amen. And understanding where giants come from will help you understand how to overcome them. 
The giant story that you just saw on the video and that I read an excerpt from today is one that is iconic and we all recognize, and it's become a proverb. It's become an illustration and a metaphor for everything from people overcoming incredible obstacles to small companies uh, competing against larger companies, and it's not uncommon for us to hear the David and Goliath metaphor. But did you know that David didn't face one giant in his life? The truth is he faced a number of giants in his life. There were more obstacles that David would face. And I don't know whether you've ever stood in a valley, not likely that you've ever stood in a valley with a 10-foot tall giant that was so big and bad and bodacious, but the fact is we can't minimize the fact that in this room it is filled with people who have faced giants in their life. You know, to really understand the story, you kind of have to do a little bit of a historical background. And those who have heard me speak before know that I love history. I'm a student of history. And you have to wonder, why would these two armies gather on opposing ridges with a valley in between them? Well, you have to kind of understand how Israel was in the days of the Philistines and the days... This would have been some thousand years or so before Jesus was born. And the land that was the promised land, we all know God liberated Israel from from Egypt in bondage and set them free and he led them into the wilderness and and he is and you know it's only 13 days roughly from Egypt to the promised land but they spent 40 years because God understood that it only takes a little time to get you out of Egypt but sometimes it takes a long time to get Egypt out of you And so he takes them out and kind of deprograms them and begins the process of reprogramming them so that they can understand the power of the God that was the God of their forefathers and the God that their Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob served. And so we see miracle after miracle as he leads them through the wilderness, demonstrating that he's the only one they should trust. When, he, uh, when they have the uh, Red Sea experience, you know, and all of Pharaoh's army is killed, God tells Moses, he said, I will gain honor over Pharaoh. He knew that to the people, Pharaoh was a god and had acted like, like a god because of the hard oppression and the incredible indignity that slavery imposes upon people. 400 years, they had not been free. They had been objects of Pharaoh's pleasure and service and servitude. And God said, it's going to take something powerful to get that out of them. They're going to have to see Pharaoh destroyed once and for all. You understand, sometimes it's not enough for you just to get free and get out of the captivity. Sometimes you need to see the captor destroyed before your very eyes, where you realize it's not a threat to you anymore. Are you all in the room with me this morning? All right. And so as he develops, of course, Pharaoh is destroyed before their very eyes. God said, I will gain honor over Pharaoh. And then he feeds them and he protects them. He's the cloud by day and the fire by night. And he brings manna to the people. And and they have uh, wandered through the wilderness. Now they have come to the promised land. Moses now has retired, essentially. And Joshua has taken over. And as you know, if you remember the story from Bible story days, Joshua is not a politician. Moses was a little more political than Joshua. Joshua. Joshua was not as much a politician, and you say, how do you know that? Because when Moses sent people in to look into the uh, promised land, to survey it, he sent 12 politicians. And Joshua didn't want to make that mistake again, so what did Joshua do? He, when he got ready to cross over, sent three commandos. 
Because the question wasn't whether or not we were going in. It's how should we attack. Amen. Amen. There are seasons in our life that we need to be led by people who have a keen sense of understanding of politics. But then once in a while, we got to have somebody that will draw the sword and say, let's take names and get down to business. You know what I'm saying? Let's get the job done. And so this was the history of Israel. Now they've gone into the promised land and they are occupying the promised land. We, we move forward about 300 years or 400 years and now David has come on the scene. Uh, most of you know the story of David. David is probably the least likely to succeed. Anybody in the room who didn't make the annual at school and you didn't make the most likely to succeed, David would have been on that list. As a matter of fact, when Saul fails, who is the first king of Israel, when Saul fails and God rejects him because he wouldn't do things God's way. As a matter of fact, Saul was concerned with political opinion when David, that's the thing that made David different from Saul, is David was always concerned with God's opinion first. Because Saul said, like, well, he, he's like the barometer. So let's see, he put his finger in the air and see how the wind was blowing politically and then that's the way he would make a decision. And God tells Samuel the prophet, he says, you tell Saul that I have rejected him from ruling over my people Israel because he's more concerned with their preferences instead of what my commands are. I need a better amen than that because that's true. And God rejects Saul. Samuel loves Saul and he's grieving. I'm bringing you up to the story now. Samuel loves Saul and he's grieving over Saul. And he's sitting by the roadside. In a famous passage, God says to him, How long will you sit by the roadside grieving or mourning, seeing I have rejected Saul from ruling over my people Israel? Fill your horn with oil, prophet, because I'm about to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite and I'm about to anoint myself a king of his household. Wow! That's, that's a direct order. The oil never belonged to the prophet. It was always God's oil. But the prophet carried the container. And his job was to identify leadership and release the anointing of God in their life. But the anointing was always God. Somebody say the anointing's always God's. Always God's. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and makes a mistake and is corrected by God right in the middle of his prophetic office. Because Samuel is about to make the same mistake most people make, and honestly, if I can speak frankly, that most of us struggle with. Because Samuel was looking to the strongest boy and one that looked the brightest. And you know what? Jesse was so confident in those boys that he brought in that he didn't even think about bringing David, who was out in that fold way off yonder, taking care of those few sheep. He didn't even think. When he found out that God was going to anoint a king of his house, he brought those other boys in and paraded them in front of the prophet. And each time the prophet said, this must be the one. He's a strapping, strong brute of a guy. This has got to be. And God stops him and corrects him right in the middle of his prophetic office and says to him, and I'm paraphrasing, Samuel, why will you be like everybody else and look at the outside package when I specialize in looking at the heart? How many are you glad in this room that God looks at your heart? It's not how you look on the outside. It's not your age. It's not your race. It's not your gender. God looks at a heart of obedience. And he says to Samuel, I will have someone who is after my own heart. So I told you that story so you would understand that when we say that David was a man after God's own heart, it didn't mean that he loved God more than anyone else. That's not what that phrase, it's only used one time in the script, actually twice, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, and it's referring to David both times. But it doesn't mean, now I'm not suggesting to you that David was not a lover of God. 
We read the Psalms and we read the songs and the beautiful poetry that he written. Clearly, he was a worshiper. Clearly, he loved God. But that's not what the phrase meant when it said that he was a man after God's own heart. This is what it meant. It meant in contrast to Saul who does what the people want, David will do what I say. He is a man after my own heart. That's all it means. Can I underscore for you this morning the power of obedience? There is numerous allusions to this in the Scripture that God would prefer your obedience above your sacrifice. That God would rather have your obedience above your gifts. You might can sing like a mockingbird and preach the pain off the walls, but God would rather have a person who will do what He says when He says it than somebody who's incredibly gifted. Are you all alright this morning? Are you okay? Alright. I'm just telling you a story. And so, David makes that emergence. Samuel anoints him as king. This is before he faces Goliath. So before he faces perhaps one of the great obstacles of his life, he faces the moment of anointing in his life. And uh, how many know that sometimes when you are anointed, uh, things happen after you're anointed? Remember, Jesus was in the water of baptism. How many know that sometimes the water of baptism precedes the wilderness of temptation? I need a better amen than that because that's true. Anybody ever had a great moment with God? Everything was good. Man, you got under the spout where the glory comes out. You got under the glory of the Holy Ghost and you think life's going to be a breeze now, man. All my giants, I found... No, I hate to tell you and be a bearer of bad news, but sometimes when you're anointed, you're about to face an obstacle or a giant and God's going to get you ready for it. I don't want to blow your theological halos off, but sometimes that's how it works. So David is anointed as king by Samuel, and then a few years later, the Philistines have set themselves in battle array against Israel. Now, for the historical context in the geography, Israel had settled the highlands. They were hillbillies. They had settled the highlands. I'm from Arkansas. I know what hillbillies are like. And I can talk like Arkansas, too, if I want to, but I try to cull it out of my vernacular, you know. It took years developing that, so... These, these folks are hillbillies. The, the town of Hebron, uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, these are all mountain towns in the Judean highlands along the trend, what's known as the Transjordan. So if you've studied the Fertile Crescent that runs up the Mesopotamian Valley where, uh, where the, uh, the river's there, the, the, the Euphrates, for example, river is there, and you come up uh, to Syria and turn left and head south, you're going to come across the Transjordan, which was a mountain range that was bordered with a major fault line. Perhaps, I think it's maybe the largest in the world and the longest that goes all the way up into Europe and down into Africa. And it travels through, incidentally, the Valley of Armageddon is on that fault line, by the way, just for your information. But the Israelites had settled the highlands, but the Philistines were occupying the Mediterranean coast there in what was called the Shephelah. And Israel's on the mountains, and the Philistines are in the fertile valleys, and they were competing over the agricultural land. That was something that they did on a fairly frequent basis. Occasionally, the Philistines would find a valley that penetrated or pushed up into the highlands. The Valley of Allah 
is one of those valleys that pushes from the fertile the region along the Mediterranean in the Shephelah and pushes up into the highlands in the area of, of what we consider the Transjordan or the mountainous areas of Israel. If you've been there, I have many times, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. You could understand when you get there why people who were dependent on agriculture for their living would want to would compete over those lands and those fertile pastures. Are you in the room? You okay? All right. And so these valleys were offering corridors, if you will. And it wasn't just the Philistines. Armies down through history and antiquity had used those same routes. In this particular time, Israel and the Philistines were fairly evenly matched. Okay, so the Philistines, they both had militias. Neither one of them had a standing army. It would be the Solomonic times before Israel would have a standing army. So they were all essentially national guards. So when they, they realized that they would get their tribes together, and the Philistines, and they'd get a, 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 a marauding party, an attack party, they would try to plunder Israel in their cities. And then Israel would sound the alarm, the king would sound the alarm, and then they would gather together. But this was the problem at this particular story. They really didn't have the power either on either side to overcome each other. So for 40 days, one is camped on one ridge and the other is camped on the other ridge. The problem is the Philistines had a technological breakthrough in their military and it was a dude that was 10 feet tall. Because in those days when armies were fairly evenly matched, they would do it the kind of the smart way. And if you were in the militia and you had home and family and kids back in the house, you would hope, I hope I'm a little guy. <laughs> like, you know, I want to be, be small and a runt. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be a big guy because the big guy is going to wind up squaring off against each other and fighting each other. And that's what Goliath would do. He was the champion of the Philistines, and they were looking for a champion in Israel, but the problem is there weren't none of those folks ten feet tall. So after a few days, it became a joke. And Goliath would walk out in the morning, and he'd walk out in the evening, which was the sacrifice time for the Israelites. He would walk out during their prayer times, and he would insult them and their God. Ain't, no, ain't, ain't none of y'all big enough, bad enough to come down and take... Y'all know you want some of this, right? You know, no, 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 nobody wanted any of that. It's like, yo, what's up? No, I'm staying right behind the rock. You're ten feet tall. So for 40 days, Goliath went through this same routine over and over again. And David, who wasn't even in the military, as the video shows, comes to bring some supplies to his three brothers that have been called up for militia duty. And he hears, happens to arrive about one of the times that this giant is bellowing out insults. And he's insulting God and insulting the nation. And he's incensed. And says, somebody needs to do something. Have you ever been so, you ever got tired of the devil messing with you that something rose up in you that's like, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something about this. Maybe your children get crazy and, and, and go haywire, and after a while it's like, you don't know what to do. You say, like, God, somebody needs to do something about this. Or maybe on the job you take persecution and people laugh at you because you're a Christian. After a while, you've had, it's got on your last nerve. Anybody ever have something get on your last nerve? You know what I'm saying? The last nerve I had. I had ten, but you're on the last one. I remember a story. I, I've told it a bunch. and Maybe I've told it here before about the, the 
son, the grandson that was living in South America, and he was from a well-to-do family. And they, uh, they wanted to do something for the grandmother for Christmas, that was something really special. You know, and the kids were always competing, trying to outdo one another on gift. And so he finally came up with this idea that he would buy a pet, and he would ship the pet home for the holidays. So Manny went down to the pet shop, exotic pet shop, and over in the corner of the pet shop was a minor bird. And the sign said, this minor bird can speak two languages, has a vocabulary of 200 words. And it was like $5,000. Because they had money, he thought nobody will think about a minor bird that talks and it'll keep grandma company. And so he made the complicated arrangements to buy the bird and ship it back to the States to be there in time for the holidays. But he never heard anything from his grandmother. And he waited and waited and thought, I, you know, it's like the new year and hadn't heard anything. So finally he calls her and she's on the phone and he says, Grandma, I, I sent you a gift for Christmas. She said, yeah, I'm so thankful for it. He said, it was a bird. Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting the grandson gave his grandmother the bird. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say that. Forgive that. Edit that from the tape. Okay. He sent her a bird that could speak two languages and had a vocabulary of 200 words. And he said, did you get the bird that I sent you for Christmas? And she said, yeah, it was delicious. (laughs) He said, it was silent on the phone from him. He said, you didn't eat the bird, did you? And she said, yeah, I did. He said... Grandma, that that bird could talk. He had a vocabulary of 200 words and could speak two languages. And he got real silent for a minute, and she said he should have said something. (laughs) Sometimes you get to a point that something needs to be said. You know what I'm saying? And so David reached that point. You know the story. He goes to Saul. He goes into the valley and he faces down the giant. Now it's interesting because we tend to think that David was no match for the giant. But the fact is if you study the story historically, you'll find that militaries in those days were composed by several different elements. There was a, often a cavalry, a, a cavalry element. There was a heavy infantry with, uh, with uh, shields and swords and armor and javelins, etc., of which Goliath would have been a champion in the heavy infantry. And then there were slingers. Yeah, there were slingers. These slingers were specialists with slingshots. Now, I'm not talking about bean flips. I'm talking about a slingshot. Uh, The ancient Assyrians used them. The ancient Chaldeans used them. They were often used, and in many cases, they were the difference between victory and defeat in major engagements. Because they were the primitive version of artillery. So you'd have archers that were part of that group, and then you'd have slingers. David was a master slinger. He would have been the equivalent comparison of a sharpshooter or a sniper. Did you know an ancient slinger could literally sling a rock and to the degree that it would remove it 30 meters a second? Had the knockdown power of a 45 caliber handgun. Did you know that? Yeah. That they could, in Roman times, the slingers could hit a Roman coin at 100 yards and break it in two at 75 with a rock. Goliath had no idea that it wasn't David that was no match for Goliath. The fact is, Goliath was no match for David. 
providing that he could not seduce David into fighting him in his own way. What did the giant say when Goliath went into the valley? He said, come to me, little boy. You get over here close. If I get my hands on you... David had no intent of going close enough. for it. That's why he told Saul. Saul just about made the same mistake. said, this giant that's confronting you, you need to get right down and go hand to hand with him. And David said, this, I don't know anything about this. This is not my specialty. I can't handle the armor and the sword, but give me a rock. And I'm going to get me some down. I'm getting him, you know. I'm going after him in the valley. Get me my rock because I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. I know to handle how to handle myself in the valley. Let me tell you, the giants that you face will try to coax you into fighting them in their own territory, in their own way, knowing that in that arena you are no match for them. But God has given you gifts. And if you'll learn to walk in the Spirit and use the, the authority of the Word of God and use the gifts God has placed in your life... The enemy you're facing is no match for you. The enemy is no match for a child of God anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love David. He's so bodacious, right? Because he goes into the valley and he stops in the, the creek and picks up five smooth stones. They were smooth because he was an expert. He knew that sharp edges reduce velocity. So he picked up the right ammo. But you know what? I don't believe he took five because he thought he might miss four times. If you study later in the history of Israel, you'll find out that Goliath had four giant brothers. It's like, how bad is that, huh? It's like, I'm going to go get Goliath and I'm going to be ready for you and you and you and you. Two. That's right. How many are glad we serve the God we serve? Isn't that cool? That is. And so David demonstrated victory over the giant. But that wasn't the only giant David faced. It prepared him for what was coming. Because David wasn't a perfect man. He was a man who was obedient to God, but he was also moment, at moments he was weak. You see, there were other giants that David, David would face. I jotted a few out this morning early. The king Saul would then try to kill him, and he would spend years running for his life as a fugitive. So David knew not only what it was to face a giant from the opposing army, he knew what it was to face betrayal from within. Come on, somebody. Then did you know his best friend would die in battle, Jonathan, a man that he said he loved beyond any person on the planet. He would lose him in battle. Then he would suffer a moral failure. He struggled with lust as a voyeur. Can I get a better amen? amen? Then he committed adultery and then had the husband murdered of the woman that he committed adultery with. They had an illegitimate child conceived out of wedlock. You mean I'm covering some giants now. I'm covering some giants. We celebrate the story about Goliath. But there were some other giants that he struggled with and sometimes he took them down and sometimes it was a little later before he took them down. For every one of you who's ever struggled with failure, for every one of you who's ever felt like that you disqualified yourself, are y'all in the room with me? Yet the Bible refers to him as a man after God's own heart. 
And so influential and powerful was his influence that you can walk the streets of Jerusalem today and in the the manhole covers on that ancient pavement is still engraved the coat of arms of David's household, the line of the tribe of Judah, is still on the sewer drains. Y'all, how, how, how much influence do you have to have if after 3,000 years they still got your name and carved on everything? No, no. You see, this thing about serving God is not about perfection. It's about obedience to God, and then when you make a mistake, running to God and taking it and being forgiven and being cleansed. It's not about perfection. Anybody who tries to get you into a religious environment telling you they're going to make you perfect, don't buy anything from them. And I don't have time to talk about that because I've used most of my time in history, but He would then lose a child as a result of that relationship. Hey, the story goes on. Later, he would be betrayed by his own son who then tried to kill him. And just open one quick little glimpse of that story. Absalom now has gathered an army. His own son. David's later in life. This is the kind of man David is. Later in life, Absalom has gathered an army and is marching on Jerusalem. The commanders of David's military come to David and say, Shall we sound the alarms and prepare? We are strong enough to defend the city. Listen. And David said, No, instead of sounding the alarm, saddle my animals and let's prepare to evacuate the city. His generals, Are you crazy? We're strong enough. We can ford off this attack. And David said something that has been engraved in the hearts of courageous, faithful men and women down through history. He says, if God has given Absalom the throne, I cannot defend it. And if God has not given Absalom the throne, he cannot take it. That's what a few giants in your life will teach you. That's what a few victories in your life will teach you. That's a few moments in the valley with Goliath and a few moments on the run from an evil king. That's what those moments will teach you. The truth is, I wished I could tell you that your lives were going to be perfect and you were never going to have a challenge and that there'd never be opposition, that there'd never be something against you, that there'd never be a storm. But the fact is, I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that in every one of those engagements and every one of those encounters, God has equipped you to rise to the top. God has equipped you to be who you're called to be and to do what He's called you to do. That God has a way of escape. The Scripture says the temptations of men are common, but God will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear. But with every temptation, He's made a way of escape. Sometimes it's with a stone and a sling. Sometimes it's with the word of your testimony. Sometimes it's with giving someone who's never been on this church property a, a, a box of diapers and a, and a, and a, and a, a couple of cans of baby food. Are y'all in the room with me? Sometimes the stone God uses is different, but the giant source is all the same, and the victory is just as sweet. Okay, all right, y'all. So that's my message. <clears throat> Actually, it's my introduction, so let me give you my message. How many believe I have the longest introductions and the shortest sermons, okay? All right, get your pen out. I want you to write four things down that will help you overcome the giants you face. And it worked for David, and it'll work for you. Four things. When you're facing opposition, when you're facing a challenging moment, whether it's Goliath or a hurricane, four things that will help you See through the storm and come out better on the other side. Number one 
is you need to understand that you have a divine purpose. Everybody say, I have a purpose. Now, there's about four of you that said it. How about the rest of y'all? You got a purpose? Did you know God knew you before you were ever born? Before you were ever a cell in your mother's womb? That you were known by God and God had a plan for your life? That God had a, a, a design and, a, and, and had already seen? As a matter of fact, it would be David who would write Psalms 139 that says, Even before I was conceived in my mother's womb, you saw me and you knew me even there. You knew the number of my days, how long I'd live on earth, and the manner of my way, the way I would live before there was a day to know. He said, I cannot escape your presence. Psalms 139, David writing later in life. He says, I've been everywhere I've been, man. I've been everywhere, man. I've been, right? And everywhere I've been, God was there. When I came out of seminary, I wanted to boldly, like the Star Trek guy, take God where he'd never been before. You know what I'm saying? And I've traveled the entire world now and realized that there's no place I have been that God wasn't already there ahead of me and wasn't with me in every moment. I can't even begin to tell you the giants I faced in my life. And the fact is, not a single one has confronted me that the power of God's presence was not there. You need to understand that when you have a purpose from God, God is connected to that purpose. And He will not leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach my own self happy. I mean, I just have a praise break my own self. Giants are defeated when we have a sense of purpose or a cause that's greater than the threat we're facing. An understanding of God's purpose for your life will increase your confidence that it is Christ working in you to accomplish His plans for your life. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. I'm glad that you don't have to do it. Somebody say, I don't have to do it. All i got to do is be willing and obedient. God will do it through me. David knew he had a purpose and a promise from God. Therefore, he refused to let the giant defy God's word. You have a purpose. Don't be discouraged when a giant appears to stand between you and the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. Charge into battle armed with the stones of truth and trust and believe that God has the ability to bring that giant down. Listen, obedience is your responsibility. The victory is God's responsibility. Don't try to be God. Look at your neighbor and say, don't try to be God. Now, come on, look at somebody else and right in the eye and say, don't try to be God. I know you think you're God, but you're not God. Mm -mm. Don't try to be God. You just be you and let God be God. Number two, somebody say number two. Four things that will help you. Number two, believe that God has also given you a promise. He doesn't just have a purpose for your life. He's made you a promise. Giants are defeated when our fear of the consequences of the conflict are overcome by our passion for the promise that God's given us. Somebody say with me, a promise is a promise. You ever thought about that? You ever thought what it means when it says that God has made you a promise? It's like, I mean, I'm not like the brightest color in the box or the sharpest knife in the drawer or the sharpest tooth in the shed or whatever. But I know when somebody makes a promise to you, they're supposed to do what they said they would do. Can I get an amen for that? The promise of God is not a promise you made to yourself. It's a promise God made to you. 
And it's sometimes when the storm is great and the, and the, and the area you're in is dark and the enemy is, is shouting insults at you, it's easy for us to forget and begin to think that we made the promise to ourselves, But we didn't make the promise. Covenant Life Center wasn't birthed out of the good intent of a good pastor. You are a good pastor and you do have good intent. But Covenant Life Center was birthed out of the heart of God. And God has a purpose for this church and He's made you a promise. And a promise is a promise. A promise is a promise. And we have to put our confidence in that. Refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy. Listen to the voice of truth coming from the heart of God. Don't let other people, no matter how well-intentioned, cause you to lose faith in the Word of God. What God has spoken, He will do. The Scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, that He watches over His Word to perform it. That means he doesn't just say it and then go off on vacation and forget about it. No, he is standing over his word to perform it. And did you know it? He does it to generation after generation after generation. You remember when Jacob had the revelation of Jacob's ladder in an open heaven? It was 140 years after Abraham had received the first promise from God. Did you know 140 years later? And when the heavens open and Jacob sees the top of the ladder, it's God Almighty standing over the top of the ladder. And you know what Jacob hears him saying? The same promise he made to Abraham 140 years before. And he renews the covenant with Jacob. When God makes a promise, He makes a promise. You have a purpose... And God's given you a promise. Let's say number three. Somebody say number three. We have to trust the sovereign power of God to overcome every obstacle we face. Giants are defeated when we realize that they're really defying God, not us. You understand the battle wasn't really with David. I mean, Goliath wasn't really defying David. He wasn't really even defying the armies of Israel. He was defying the God of Israel. You understand when the enemy comes in your life and he tells you the promise is a lie, he's not just defying you, he's defying God. We need to understand that. The giants are defeated when we realize that they are really defying God and not just us. David said to Goliath, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's. If you have wayward children in this room today, I'm telling you the battle is God's. If you're facing financial calamity today in your life and you've had financial downturns, I'm telling you the battle is the Lord's. God's given you a purpose. He's given you a promise. And He has the power to bring His Word to pass. I need a better amen than that all over this room. Surely there's somebody in this room that's seen the faithfulness of God. Surely somebody in this room has seen God bring deliverance in your life when nobody thought it was going to work out and everybody thought it was all lost. And right in the middle of a storm. God walked in. Yep, that's right. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Surely somebody has experienced the power of God in this room. David defeated Goliath because he understood this critical truth and you can too. David was no more capable then than you are today. And God wants to show himself strong in you and through you the way he did David. The giants, listen, I'm almost done. The giants cannot... The giants you face cannot stand against the power of God. They may intimidate you, but they do not intimidate God. And according to David, God does not rely on your ability, but rather your obedience. He'll use your ability, but the battle's success is not dependent upon them. We must settle in our hearts that God's greater than anything we could possibly face.
I done wore my old self out. I'm like that laboratory retriever that's old. I got the heart for it. I just don't have the legs for it anymore. <laughs> Number four. What we do have to do is adjust our perspective to one of faith instead of fear. Did you know about 90% of life's success is how you look at stuff? Your perspective. Perspective relates to your orientation or inclination to an object. So I'm looking at that white guitar over there and it looks one way here. But if I get down off the stage and change my perspective, it's the same guitar, but I see things about it that are different. I see things about it that, that I, I don't see quite in the same way. There's a dimension of it that I see that I didn't see straight on. Are you all in the room? That's how it is when we change our perspective to a faith perspective. It'll be the same giant. It could be the same battle. But you'll begin to see things in that encounter that you didn't see before when you begin to look at them from a faith perspective. That's why the Bible is so emphatic about faith, walking in faith. The just shall live by faith. Those who overcome will overcome by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. It's our word of testimony that we declare as our faith. It's 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 the gospel of faith that we preach, that we fill in our mouths. Giants are defeated when we look beyond our challenges and obstacles, even beyond our promise to the God of the promise. Listen, important statement. Stand with me so you'll know I'm almost done. But I got an important statement coming your way. This is not the power of positive thinking. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the God of our faith. Because there may be moments that you're so confronted by an enemy that your faith can be shaken. But I'm glad God never is. Our faith is not in our faith, nor is it in our promise. It's in the God of the promise and the God of our faith. To do this, we must learn to listen to the voice of truth and not the lies of the enemy. David faced many giants in his life. The first one, perhaps, was Goliath that we've spent so much time on this morning. David became the great psalmist of Israel and wrote so many beautiful psalms. But perhaps the most famous that he penned and the one that I've used the word iconic a few times that really is an iconic psalm. When people, when you mention this psalm or you mention psalms in general to people, even secular people that don't have a biblical understanding, their mind defaults to this psalm. Anybody want to guess which one it is? It's the 23rd psalm. But now you know, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Because David writes the 23rd Psalm toward the end of his life. He's an old man. And he's faced a lot of giants, Pastor Bobby. A lot of failure on his part. Made a lot of mistakes. Seen a lot of victories. And encapsulated in that Psalm are seven of the character identities of the God that he learned 
to trust through the battle. Through the battles. You see, there were compound names for God in the Old Testament. Anybody ever heard of that? You know, it's Jehovah Jireh. We all know that when we used to sing a course about that. Jehovah is the Lord. And there were compound, there were characteristics that were added to his name. And David would write the psalm, and here's a few of them. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Roi. David was a shepherd, he could relate. He knew what it was like to guide sheep through narrow passageways and away from danger and into fertile lands. He said, that's what the Lord has done to me through all the highs and lows of my life. He's been guiding me. He's been my shepherd. I shall not want Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He said, there's been moments I hid in caves, moments I was on the run, but He always provided for me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Jehovah Shalom, God my peace. I've turned 55 this year and I feel like an old man. I'm really not that old, I just got a lot of miles on me. You know what I'm saying? I've been, I've been traveling 25 years working with churches like this. And I've seen some highs and lows. I've buried a wife, buried a father, buried a brother. Just me and my mom and, of course, my wife, Kath, that you all love so much. And the kids. But I'm saying I've known some highs and I've known some lows. I can imagine David. He's not on the rolling hills of Judea now writing this psalm. He's in the palace. But maybe he's sitting on his balcony reflecting. And he said, this, Pastor Bobby's how I've known the Lord. He's been a shepherd to me. He's been my peace. He's been my provider. He restores my soul. He's been Jehovah Rapha to me, my healer. He's led me in the paths of righteousness. And yes, He's used the crook on me and pulled me back a few times that I strayed. But He's led me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. That's Jehovah Sid Canoe, my righteousness. And Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord my sanctifier. When I failed and become impure and dirty, He pulled me back on the path and gently like a shepherd washed me and cleaned me up and put me back on the path. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, you remember when I went through that valley with Goliath, man? I thought I was a goner. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, my present God. The God who is always there. He prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The men would have killed me. They would have taken me out. And he, in the spite of that, anointed my head with oil. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner and my defender. And he comes to that climax on the balcony looking over the holy city. And he says, my cup's running over. And he says, this is my conclusion. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house. He said, the Lord's done me so good, I'll never turn my back. I might fail in my humanity, but I'll never turn my back on Him. If you want to find David, you know where you'll find me. You'll find me in the house of the Lord. Whether there's a storm or whether there's good calamity, bad calamity, whatever's going on, you will find me in the house of the Lord. And here you are today. As I've gone through this litany of 
of challenges. Many of you have put yourself in the story. Many of you filled in your names and said, He's been that to me too. Is there anybody in this room that He's been your provider? Anybody in this room that He's been your peace? Anybody in this room that He's been your shepherd? Anybody in this room that been, He's been your defender? Oh my goodness, I don't even know what to do now. I just want to praise Him for a while. How about you? If you're in this room today, listen, if you're in this room today and you say, Brother Brasfield, I've not known God that way. I've not known Him in that way, but I want to. I want you to step out from this, wherever you're seated, just step out in the aisle. Someone will meet you there and they will pray with you. You don't have to be a stranger to the God that I've described. You're facing giants. You're facing difficulties. I understand that. But listen, God is greater than any obstacle you face. And there's nothing that can confront you that God hasn't already figured it out if you'll just trust Him and rely on Him. If you're here in this room and you don't know Him in that way, just quickly step out right now. Step out into the aisle. The prayer team's coming. They'll meet you here they'll pray with you. Maybe you're here in this room today and you'd say, Brother Brasfield, I'm facing one of the great obstacles of my life. You didn't know it, but God did. And He brought you here to this meeting today and I need someone who'll agree with me in prayer that God is going to show Himself strong. Step out from where you stand right now. Come on and find somebody to pray with you. Come on, don't wait. The Holy Spirit is stirring the water right now. Don't wait. Come on. You're facing some great obstacle in your life. Come and one of these wonderful prayer partners will pray with you. Find someone who will agree with you. Come on, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Our time has slipped away. Come on.
strong tower and we run to you we run to you with all of our hearts God as a congregation we run to you in these turbulent times God and times of political upheaval and social upheaval God and suffering and wars and rumors of wars and storms Lord we're reminded that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into and they are saved we run to you our eyes are on you Lord our eyes are on you God, I pray for everyone in this room. Everyone, Lord, their families, their children, their jobs, Lord, the way they earn a living, God. I pray, Father, that as they come away from this storm, that everything the enemy has tried to steal, that as according to the Scripture, that when he is apprehended by God, he will be made to pay seven times. So, Lord, we ask right now for a sevenfold blessing for everyone who suffered loss. Every one of your children, God, that have suffered, God, and hadn't had God have suffered loss of their home or their family or their finances, Lord, of their emotional stability, God, through this storm, we pray, God, that you will return it and make the enemy pay it back seven times. Seven times. But we run to you, Lord. We run to you. We run to you. Lord, we can't face the giant by ourselves. We run to you. run to you Lord Lord we run to you Lord we run to you we run to you we run to you we run to you 
Lord, we refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy and the lies of the giant. We remember the word of the Lord and we run to you. Lord, the writer of Psalms said, The Lord is our, our very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be shaken and removed and the mountains roar and cast into the depths of the sea. For there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. Lord, we run to that river. We run to you. No more looking to ourselves, Lord. No more trying to figure it out on our own. No more trying to be self-reliant, God. No more trying to get ourselves out of the problem. We run to you. We run to you. Lord, as a congregation, we run to you. And I pray as individuals, Lord, everyone under the sound of my voice will run to you and take their refuge in you. Tell Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings. But Lord, we will not be among those who say we will not. But Lord, as you gather us, we will run to you. We will run to you. We will gather under your feathers and under your wings. David would also say where do I look for God in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water I find myself in the sanctuary and under your wings he says I take refuge and under your feathers (laughs) thank you Well, if you receive the word of the Lord today, would you say a big amen? Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.